You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at Redeemer Bible. For the reading of God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in great need. That is true in one way or another for every single person here. And in the midst of our need, whatever it is, we need to see Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you work through the preaching of the word to give us eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who may be here this morning who has never turned in repentance and faith To Christ, Holy Spirit, would you work effectually making the Lord Jesus so irresistibly beautiful that this one comes? And would you also encourage your people? It is easy for us to forget who Jesus really is. Would you use this next part of Mark's gospel to remind us again. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if any of you know someone like my friend Roger. I've known Roger for many years. He's the sort of friend that makes me laugh whenever we talk, but he's also a constant challenge to me spiritually. In fact, for a time, we served together as elders when I was 
pastoring in Wisconsin. During that time, there was a string of meetings we were supposed to have where he was either late or he missed the meeting entirely. In every case, there was a good reason. But the reasons always had to do with helping someone in need. There was the family stranded on the side of the road that he stopped to help. There was the homeless man he met during a particularly hot stretch of the summer that he took to an area motel and got him checked into an air-conditioned room. There was the elderly lady he found wandering down the middle of the street and he safely returned her home. While compassion can take on all sorts of forms, Roger is perhaps the most compassionate person I've ever known. I remember one elders meeting that was taking place at the normal time and he was late. And we joked that he probably saw someone in need and stopped to literally give them the shirt off his back. When he arrived, we found out that we were almost right, not because he arrived shirtless, but because during the dead of winter, Roger saw a homeless man without a coat, and so he stopped to give the man his coat. Of course, he also took time to share the gospel with him. Again, Roger is probably the most compassionate person I've ever met. But what I want you to know this morning is that I saw how Roger's compassion impacted both Christians and non-Christians. His example was a constant challenge to his believing brothers and sisters to see others as Christ sees them through eyes of compassion and care. But friends, Roger's compassion also made him someone that unbelievers were drawn to. It was like they finally found someone who would listen to them. And he seemed to genuinely love them. I think if you asked them why they were drawn to Roger, they would have said something like this. He seems to see me differently than everyone else does. What I have described to you about my friend Roger is what we could simply call Christ-likeness. By God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, Roger saw people like Christ sees them. In our text this morning, every Christian should be challenged to see people with the eyes of Christ. To see them with compassion and care. And, and if you're with us today and you're not a Christian... I want you to be drawn to Christ 
knowing that he sees you differently than anybody else sees you. And in his compassion and care, he can meet your deepest need. You see, the Lord Jesus cares for real people with real needs. Yes, Mark is continuing to highlight the power and authority of Jesus the Messiah, the one who is very God and very man. But in each of these snapshots from his life, different facets of his glory are displayed. And this morning, we get a glimpse of his compassion for those in need. Christ cares for the hurting. Christ cares for the hurting. Interestingly, in our text, Mark weaves together two stories of two women. One is a 12-year-old girl and the other a woman who's been suffering horribly for 12 years. In each of these interactions, the compassion and care of Christ is wonderfully displayed. And I want you to see this in three different ways. First, Jesus listens to the desperate. Jesus listens to the desperate. We see this in verses 21 through 24. Look at the text again with me. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. As we've been working our way through Mark's gospel, we have seen Jesus' growing popularity. He's attracting a lot of attention. Word has clearly been spreading about the things he's been saying and doing. It's no surprise, therefore, that a great crowd is gathered about him once again. And who knows why each person is there? Is it mere curiosity? Is it fear of missing out? Is it the result of genuine faith and a heartfelt desire to become a follower of Jesus the Messiah? We just don't know why every person is present, but Mark does tell us why a few have joined this gathered crowd. Mark first tells us about a man named Jairus and describes him as a ruler of the synagogue. This means that Jairus was not a rabbi, but he was probably a wealthy member of the community who held some significant support role within the synagogue. In other words, friends, Jairus had wealth and power and influence. But what do we find out here? None of that mattered at all in this particular moment of crisis, did it? Why? Because wealth, power, and influence can't make your sick child well. 
This man was absolutely desperate. His only hope was Jesus. You see, friends, while this is a very real story, it's also a potent illustration. Like Jairus, every person who has ever lived, whether they know it or not, everyone faces a problem they cannot fix. It's not the problem of a sick child, it's the problem of a sick soul. And no amount of wealth, power, or influence can bring forgiveness of sin and eternal healing to a sick soul. The only hope is Jesus. And so what must a desperate sinner do? In his need, he must do what Jairus does. Cry out to Jesus. And friends, what do we see in our text? Jesus listens to the desperate. He hears the one who has no other hope and calls out to Jesus in faith. We know Jairus had faith because of what we read in verse 23. Look at what he said to Jesus. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. In this moment, Jairus seems to have a very clear understanding of who Jesus is and what he can do. Jesus is the only one who can meet his most pressing need. And we know Jesus listened to his cry because of what we find in verse 24. And he went with him. Jesus didn't have to do this. He had a thousand other things he could have done. But he has compassion on the hurting. He hears their cry and responds in grace. When I was meditating on verses 23 and 24 this week, I, I thought back to our series through Exodus. Do you remember what we encountered at the very beginning of the book when God's people cried out to him in the midst of their long enslavement in Egypt? In Exodus chapter 2, this is what we read together and studied. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What we see in Jesus' response to Jairus in Mark 5 isn't something unique to the incarnate Christ. No, Jesus is exhibiting the heart of God in his compassion for the hurting and in his listening to the cry of the desperate. In Exodus, he hears the desperate plea of his covenant people, and in Mark, he hears the desperate plea of a daddy whose little girl is about to die. 
But friends, this is the heart of God. Whether you find yourself hopeless and helpless in your sin this morning, separated from God and in need of forgiveness, or you're facing down a desperate situation, and in your fear and fragility, all you can do is ask Jesus for his help. Friend, in faith, cry out to the Lord, and he will hear you. Jesus listens to the desperate. Mark presses pause on the story of Jairus and his daughter and now focuses on another woman. And in this interaction, again, we see the compassion and care of Christ displayed. Notice now that Jesus draws near to the downcast or we might more accurately say the outcast. Look at the second part of verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Friends, this is a truly heartbreaking situation. Far beyond what this woman would have experienced monthly, she was suffering from an unceasing hemorrhage. She was not only constantly in pain, but she was unclean. And there was nothing she could do about it. She was a total outcast. She couldn't visit the temple. She couldn't be near other people for fear that they would touch her or her clothing and become unclean as well. Her illness had her living like someone with leprosy. She was unloved and unwanted, lonely and isolated. She was put away from everyone and everything. She had apparently tried to get help from physicians, spending everything she had to get out from underneath this living death sentence but nothing worked. In fact, all the help she tried to get had only made things worse. Discouraged, depressed, and downright hopeless, this poor woman has one last idea. Look at verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus. I love that. In fact, do you remember where we ended our study two weeks ago? The demon-possessed man was delivered by Jesus, and what did Jesus tell him to do back in verse 20? 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I don't know. I don't know, but maybe when this delivered man obeyed Jesus, this diseased woman heard his testimony. Somehow, and from someone in her great need, when nothing else had worked and all hope was gone, she heard reports about Jesus. This is why it's so important for Christians to go out and just tell people what Jesus did for you. You don't know who's listening. You don't know how that news might spread. Now, when we think about this woman, I have to believe that some of you can identify with her. Not that you've suffered like she did, but, but you found yourself an outcast. Unwanted and unloved, lonely and isolated. In great need, with no way to meet that need. But then you heard reports about Jesus. You heard about his love and compassion. You heard about his strength and his salvation. You heard about his forgiveness and his friendship. And when you heard, there was something that drew you to him. You believed that he might be the answer. This is precisely what happened to the suffering woman in our text. Verse 27 again. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This woman had faith that Jesus was different. Different than the physicians that had made her problem worse. She had heard the stories and she believed. Uh, but she didn't just believe that Jesus was better than physicians. She believed that Jesus was altogether different than anyone she had ever met or heard about before. Why? Why would I say that? Well, remember that this woman was unclean. If she touched another person or even touched their clothes, they would become unclean as well. But again, she believed that Jesus was different. Listen, with Jesus, her touch would not defile him. It would purify her. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what the world needs to hear. Every person defiled by sin, Jesus can make you clean. When it comes to the cleansing power of Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've done or how dirty you've become. Jesus can make you clean. In faith, this 
this woman just wanted to get close enough to touch the Lord's garment. And what happened when she did? Verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. That's pretty amazing. This is a true story. This really happened. There was a a woman who no one could help No physician could heal. She had suffered and felt shame for 12 years. And in an instant, Jesus healed her completely and gave her a brand new life. This is what Jesus does. And notice what happens next. Verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. We need to understand that Jesus doesn't ask who touched his garments for his own benefit. Jesus knows exactly what has happened. He's asking the question for the sake of the woman. Remember again, she's unclean. She's an outcast, unloved and unwanted. Her life for the last 12 years has been marked by embarrassment and shame. But that's all changed now. Verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. You see, Jesus Jesus wants the whole story out there. Spoken in the presence of the crowd, just so everyone is clear. Now notice his incredibly compassionate response. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I love the way one Bible commentator explains Jesus' response to this woman as he calls her daughter. This man writes, Jesus knows that she needs more than healing. She needs a family. Jesus doesn't only heal this woman physically, but he heals her spiritually. Making her well speaks to both the healing that happens outside and on the inside. The compassionate Christ has received this outcast as a member of his family. What incredible grace this is. Again, this is what Jesus does. He doesn't simply go to the helpless and the hopeless, but he goes to the outcast, the one nobody wants. And by grace, he removes their shame, makes them clean, and adopts them as his very own. 
This is actually the story of every believer here today. You're the unclean woman who nobody wanted. And you had a problem that nobody could fix. Your only hope was to receive grace from a compassionate Savior. Jesus listens to the desperate. Jesus draws near to the downcast. Finally, Jesus brings hope to the despairing. We're now back to Jairus and his daughter. Mark writes in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus was interrupted while he was speaking. And the news was that Jairus' daughter had died. Of course, to most everybody there, it now seemed that Jesus wasn't needed. The need for healing was gone because the girl was dead. Now, kind of like he did with the disciples in the boat, Jesus turns to Jairus and essentially says this, do, do you know who I am and what I'm capable of? If you do, then don't be afraid. Even though the circumstances make it appear that all hope is gone, I may look like the underdog here, but remember who I am, Jairus. Remember who I am. Only believe. The story continues, verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Again, there is a certain similarity here between the people weeping and wailing and the disciples in the boat in the storm. Jesus essentially says, yet again, do you not know who I am and what I am capable of? I'm the promised Messiah, the sovereign Savior. I am God incarnate. I have power over disastrous storms, demons from hell, incurable diseases, and I have power over death. Yes, the child is dead, but to me, that's nothing more than sleep. This is the difference between God's perspective and ours so often. When we forget who he is and what he's capable of, we look at dire circumstances as impossible. She's dead. There's nothing that can be done now. We forget that God has the power to speak to the one who is dead and awake them from their sleep. 
Look at the second part of verse 40. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, which has to be just a terrible understatement. And then as we've seen him do before, he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The compassionate and caring Christ does what no one else would do or could do. With the bleeding woman, he allowed the unclean to touch him. Here, he touches the unclean, the dead body of this little girl. Again, this is a staggering picture of grace. Jesus did what no one else would do, but then he did what no one else could do. He commands the little girl to get up, and she does. This is the power of the sovereign Christ. When he speaks, the storm calms. When he speaks, the dead girl gets up. So interesting the way Mark writes this. He, he wants us to know that in an instant, this girl was totally fine. So he tells us that she immediately began to walk and she needed something to eat. If you've ever been really sick, even near death, and you've recovered, you know that it takes a long time to regain your strength. And it's quite some time before your appetite returns. I suppose that's the difference between modern medicine and Jesus. When Jesus brings healing, there is no recovery time. Because no one is like Jesus. Now, friends, as we draw this to a close, think about this little girl's dad, Jairus. Think about the unclean woman who touched the hem of Jesus' robe. And think even again about the demon-possessed man we met earlier in chapter 5. The portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ that Mark has painted for us is staggering in its beauty. It's so compelling. The power of Christ is unmatched. The grace of Christ is undeserved. And the compassion of Christ is unlimited. We said this at the beginning of our series, Mark is not making things up. He's telling us the true account of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And in doing this, he is putting before us a Christ that ought to compel us to come and believe. This is yet a, another 
part of that portrait. One pastor says it this way as he reflects on this chapter and what we've encountered. encountered. Listen to what he says. The people that run to Jesus in the gospel of Mark are not the smug, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees or the hard-hearted crowds that listen to his teaching but then go away. They are those who know they are broken, so they cannot deny that they need a healer. They are those who go from bad to worse. They are those who know shame, fear, and guilt, but find grace, freedom, peace, love, power, and mercy when they meet Jesus. They fall before his feet, and he fiercely and tenderly comes to the rescue, breaks the chains, calms the fears, and gives new life and a new identity. Friends, this is Jesus. This is why we sing things like, hallelujah, what a savior. I hope, Christian friend, that seeing this glimpse of the compassion and care of Christ will fill your heart with gratitude and push you out to speak of him. And if you are here this morning and you've never turned in repentance and faith to Christ, I would want this portrait of the real Christ to compel you to come. Come to him and find life. In his gracious name. Let's pray together.